A river runs through it. Today, we're going to talk to two people who know as much about the Chattahoochee and its recreational opportunities as anybody. Stay tuned. We're going to learn a little bit about the Chattahoochee River. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to this episode of the Chuck Williams Show. This is a good one. I'm, I'm repping. We're we're recording this on um, what's the date today? Nineteenth. Yeah. Uh, Braves and Dodgers are getting ready to play in a few hours. We're recording it, and so I'm repping the Braves hat hard today. I'm I'm a hardcore Atlanta baseball fan right now. We got two guys with us that know a little bit thing a thing or two about recreation as well. We got Rick McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Group, right? Yeah, uh, McLaughlin Whitewater Group. McLaughlin. And Rick's out of Denver, and we got Dan Gilbert. Dan is the president and CEO of Whitewater Express, which is the lone outfielder on the Chattahoochee. Um, this is going to be a really interesting conversation about the river for a couple of reasons. Rick is the architect that designed the Whitewater course that's been operating now for eight seasons in the Chattahoochee River. Dan's the lone outfielder fitter that is licensed through Uptown Columbus to run the river on paid excursions. They know a lot about what's happened here over the last eight years and the journey to that. Start, Rick, introduce yourself a little bit real quick, if you don't mind, Rick. Uh, well, my name is Rick McLaughlin. I'm a, uh, I'm a practicing uh, consulting civil engineer. I've uh, been doing this gig for about uh, 35 years or so. Um, years ago, uh, back in the 80s, um, I uh, was kind of one of the first guys in the office to have a computer, and I liked the kayak, and uh, that's, how, uh, that's how I got started. So computer and kayak married in the 80s, and now you're altering river flow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, Dan, a little bit about you. You've been in the Columbus community now for eight, nine years. You've been operating Whitewater Express, and you've kind of become one of us in a strange way. In a fun way. This has been a great experience. I've been in Whitewater. We, I started the company uh, about 40 years, over 40 years ago. And uh, eight or nine years ago, we came down to Columbus. We've fallen in love with it. Loved the vision that was there at the time to create this great Whitewater venue. And, you know, people come here uh, to enjoy this Whitewater. Uh, it's, it's a different scenario than they, than they go other places like the Okoye River. They go there to go rafting. They come here to enjoy the community. They, they like to go down the river, get out and go to a great restaurant, stay in a great hotel. It's the whole vibe of the place. The, this, it's been fun to uh, get to know Columbus and be part of this vision. And you become a piece of that over the years in a, in a big way. First question I want to ask, and this is something that I get asked all the time when I'm talking to people, folks from here and folks not from here, about our Whitewater course. Is it a man? Is it? A natural river, or is it a man-made whitewater course? You want to take that one? Me? Yeah, oh, that's easy for me. It, this is a natural river. You know, this is a, a river that uh, Rick came in. Rick's one of the best in the world at taking a river and enhancing the waves, making them better, and that's exactly what they did here. There are waves virtually everywhere that we have a big wave now. But uh, but Rick and his crew and all the folks here in Columbus that were behind him came in and. Uh, enhance these waves and make them world-class waves. So uh, this is a natural river. I just went to Oklahoma City about a month ago, and I got in their artificial, their, their whitewater park. First time I've been in a whitewater park. Now I'm an old rafting, canoeing guy, 
But I got in that whitewater park and I felt like a ping pong ball going down. It was you hit this side, hit this side. It, it's it's uh, it it can be fun, I think, but uh, it's not a natural. Did it experience. feel like an amusement park ride? It felt like an amusement park. Nothing like uh, we have here in Columbus. This is a natural river. You can really you enjoy the river, enjoy the wildlife. It's a this is as natural a river as, as the Ocoee and Anahala. But to use an analogy. Rick, you're kind of the guy that put Botox in the river, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But, yeah, yeah. so so the river, um, a lot of people ask, like, why didn't you just remove the dams and why did you have to do any, anything beyond that? And uh, I think there's there's a couple answers to that. And, and, and one is that when, when they built those gorgeous dams, uh, they basically mined the rock right from the bed of the river. So that didn't leave the bed of the river in a really good condition for recreation or naturalistic type flows and so that was one reason and then the flows of like a lot of rivers have been really altered so it's 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 it sees flows that are very different than what it used to see when you came to town i guess you got you first started this project what 14 15 years ago oh i had two, it was around 2000 1999 i think we first came down here. so you came here and there were two dams there was the eagle and phoenix dam now which is just below the 13th Street Bridge. I think when you came here, that bridge had probably not opened yet. Uh, the Eagle and Phoenix Dam below the 13th Street, and then you had the City Mills Dam right there at City Mills near where they're building the Mercer Med Campus north of Tesis. So it sounds easy to say, hey, let's just get rid of, take some dynamite, and let's get rid of two bridges or two dams. Mm-hmm. It ain't that easy, is it? Um, technically it's really not that tough. And I mean, it's, um, but politically, uh, it's a big deal. I mean, I, have literally had my life threatened about removing dams. Uh, people get accustomed to their dams. They like them. They like the pool. They like, that's what they're used to, right? People generally don't like change been, been my experience. And they're all, yeah, I always hear the same thing. Oh, we're going to have mud flats. We're going to have this or that. And, uh, and so that's the real challenge in in convincing people uh, to uh, to get rid of the dams and 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 that they'll get more value from a really free flowing river. And then you've got to go to one of the alphabet soups, FERC, which is federal. What's FERC stand for? Energy Regulatory mm-hmm. Commission, I believe. They're the guys that s- essentially give you the permit to do something uh, with that dam. They're one, yeah. uh, a, a core. Uh, well, actually, FERC really doesn't. Uh, they're on the decommissioning side. Uh, the Army Corps in, engineers and then FEMA are, are the two big permits. So it's a regulatory maze as much as anything else. Uh, it can be. Uh, some some parts of the country, Pacific Northwest uh, and uh, the, the Northeast, uh, permitting can sometimes be bigger than the project itself. Here, the permitting wasn't too too bad because at the heart of the thing, we were, we were removing dams. So, which is a good thing, right? It's a it, it's a positive impact on the uh, river habitat, and so so permitting was actually on this project was was pretty straightforward. One thing I would add in there, I think uh, Rick and everybody who did this went through this process have made it easier for people now because now we are the example. If if you're in another part of the country and you're going to try the same thing, you use this as an example because it's been done and done successfully. And, and, and it's made the environmentalists and the business people both happy with the results. So it's, this is a perfect example of how you want to do it. And the recreational people as well. Absolutely. When, do you, 
you're based in Denver, right? Yep. Okay. We, you've done projects literally over the last 35 years all over the country and even in foreign countries, right? Yep. How does this one rank for you? Um, well, it did, I guess in what what's ranking, but as far as uh, probably this is one of the top three projects that I'm most uh, proud of, and it's pro- it's it's definitely has the most economic and in in quality of life impacts of any project, in my opinion, in the entire world of anything remotely like it. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really a big deal, um, uh, and and technically it was quite challenging. Uh, just because uh, we really didn't know what the bed of the river exactly looked like, uh, and uh, and again, it's a big river, big dollars. It's very expensive to to build in a river like this. I mean, this was started out as a twenty million, ended up well over thirty million dollar project, right? Uh, probably started out if you had talked to uh, some people at more like a five million dollar yeah. project, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, again, it it kind of grew in scope and and complexity, and uh, uh, but it was it, it's very unique. I, I think the the project sponsors really um, they were the ones that really took the risk because it re- there wasn't a really good model uh, uh, for the kind of uh, changes that we were p- proposing. And those people would that would have been the cities on both sides, Phoenix City and Columbus. It would have been the um, the. John Turner. John Turner with the Bradley Turner Foundation literally spearheaded this project. He was the first person I ever heard talk about it. So, I mean, they came with the economic wherewithal to make this happen. Where does this rank ahead of – you did the Upper Ocoee, which was the Olympic whitewater course, and I think you were involved in that project as well, Dan. Right. Where does this rank with the Upper Ocoee up in Tennessee where they did the 96 Olympic whitewater well, so both were unique projects at the time, um, uh, very different projects, and uh, oriented di- towards different kinds of recreation. And, and uh, of course, this is in the heart of a, of a city, and that's kind of out by itself. That was really oriented towards uh, a slalom uh, competition. In fact, it's the only slalom venue uh, that's been built on a natural river. In fact, it's probably the only Ol- Olympic venue in history that's actually built in an active river. So and and uh, so, so that one was pretty pretty. And you were building it for the best in the world, right? So you were building challenges in there for people that were going to be very very good at what they did. Yeah, it's a it's a little humbling, uh, uh, even in this. Pro- <laughs> well, uh, these uh, uh, kayakers are are, are really, I mean, I've kayaked forever, but I'm just recreational, and and these guys are are really good, and the, the kayakers here are just amazing. Is that was that an unforeseen part of this, Dan? That you knew you were building a whitewater course, but it's turned into a kayaker, kayak course, as well as it's turned into something that's used by surfers. I've seen people on surfboards out there surfing the wave shape. Well, yeah, you know we've uh, we have what we call the wintering grounds. The kayakers named it the wintering grounds. So we're uh, we thought from the very start we have world class waves here that we, we were saying that from day one because we we do and and we recognize that but uh that was really uh when elite athletes from around the world started coming here in the winter 
to uh, and and they were saying, hey guys, y'all got the best waves in the world. Uh, you know, they're looking. You may have say, if you put yourself in say the Canadian freestyle kayaker. He's on the freestyle team in Canada, and he's trying to. It's winter time. You're in Canada. There's snow on the river, and ice, and you're trying to get in there to train. Well, the first thing you want to do is think about. There's got to be somewhere else that's warmer. Well, it's down here, and what they we have. Uh, we have the, they started coming in last week. They'll come in uh, and stay. Some some of these athletes will stay several months. Some will stay for a week, and they they'll come in and uh, from now till next spring practice here because we have the best waves in the world, and and they're war- it's warm, fairly warm climate, warm water, and they just love it. One of the things you said was from day one, and I want to go back to near day one. It's probably day three. Um, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Well, you can go back to day one. So day one, uh, I came down here, and I, w- I was asked to come down when they first were, the water went mm-hmm. through cut bait for the first time. That powerful water goes through there. I went down. Cut bait, and, cut bait, for people that aren't listening, cut bait is the rapid on the Alabama side. At the very end of the course, it would be near 12th Street in Columbus, but it's the Alabama side rapid, right? Right, right. So I'm down there, and uh, – we ventured down through these rocks and boulders. I had not seen this rapid before, and this this before commercial operations started, obviously. But we're going down there. I think Richard Bishop was there, a big group of people. John Turner was right behind me. They release the water, and I see this enormous wave appear right in front of me. I'd never seen anything like that. I've been on white water for four years, never seen anything like this wave. And I turned around, and uh, John said, "My eyes were like so big," and uh, I, I said, "This is amazing." And it was, you knew right then. You see that wave, don't you? I think you agree, Rick. You see that uh, wave going through cut bait, or you see Wave Shaper, what Wave Shaper can do. And you know you've got world-class features here. But cut bait was a thing for local kayakers when the river was still dammed. I mean, they would go play in cut bait. Uh, <clears throat> cut bait was very hazardous at low flow. There was a few uh, hunter uh, did amazing things, but I know a lot of very good kayakers, they got, got hurt in cut bait. It was not... And in fact, uh, we. Uh, uh, Why was it dangerous, Rick? Well, because it was a art. Well, one, it was an art, artificial thing. Um, it was cut. Probably it was cut and modified again, somehow related to the initial the dam construction. Uh, but it, it's it's very steep. It drops a lot, and it just formed a really nasty hydraulic, a very retentive. And uh, 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 by retentive, it could suck you into it. Yeah, and, it, and there were croppings that could trap you, right? Yeah, and 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 when you got flipped over, uh, I, uh, people I know got their helmets sucked off. Uh, they hit their heads on things. It's just not. It, and in fact, we one of the uh, uh, we conducted a very probably the largest physical model of whitewater that's ever been done. Uh, of the whole area there by by cut, uh, cut bait and on the other side and the main reason that I was kind of insistent on on that wasn't really for recreation so much it was really for safety because that dropped so much and we really couldn't do much about it and uh, much uh, much more energy than anything I'd worked with before and so I knew that uh, to make this a good recreational venue you couldn't have a hazard there uh, that kind of a hazard. And so, uh, and uh, since no one had ever kind of tried to chill out something that, that powerful, uh, that's really why I insisted on the physical model, and, and it paid off big time. Because the model showed you how to move the water through there in a more efficient but also safer manner, right? Exactly. So, 
so whereas the hydraulic feature, the what occurred there before to to, a, to the average person probably didn't look very bad. In fact, it, it looks worse now, right? Yeah, it, it looks much more inti- intimidating it, now than it did. But that's which is a very common thing in in like uh, low head dams, right? Low head dams drown people every year. And they don't look that bad, which is their, which is why they're dangerous. Like Grand Forks is low, is low head dams, right? In that up that way, I mean, we don't have any low head dams on the Chattahoochee right now, do we? Uh, Not our section. You know what Rick's saying is when you fall out and cut bait now, though it looks ferocious and it is ferocious, but you fall out in that and it's you swiftly you move right through the rapid. It has it doesn't it has little retention. It doesn't hold you back. So it doesn't have that uh, thing like a low head dam. It just you, you shoot right through it. So you designed it to flush you out. Absolutely, and spent a lot of time on that. Um, when uh, early on, when when they were learning how to, when Dan and his crew was lear- uh, learning how to run it, we were out there. I, I had actually my eighty five year old father and uh, my daughter, and we were all in wraps and w- one of the first through on that on that day and. And we went through it, and and uh, we paddled really hard and, and made it all the way through. And then I spun around, and we were watching everybody come through, and it was total carnage. I mean, people everywhere. And when I'm start when in all projects like this, uh, when we start up, I'm very nervous. And I mean, it's just my personality anyway. But but after I saw all those people go through, swim every other wi- every which way, and everybody came out at the in the giant pool at the end, I was elated uh, uh, just because um, it was doing what it was supposed to do. And old P.T. Barnum over here was happy, too. <laughs> I mean, you know, you had a viral well, video of, of literally all these rafts going into cut bait. People were flying. Rafts were flipping. It don't it, put us on the map. It did. People all over the country were, <laughs> can we go do this? Yes. You had Georgia Tech engineering students stealing rafts from their rec department and coming down here to do. I mean, I remember to well, you do You got it. further than that. We had people in West Virginia, guys up there saying, wow, we got to go down to Columbus and try this out. I mean, Guys on the Gauley. Guys yeah, on the Gauley, which is sure. the, the mecca on the East Coast, right? Well, you could argue about that, Nazem, Gale or Chattahoochee. I mean, we got two. Uh... Okay, when that video <laughs> hit, I'm not getting <laughs> in that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> You're smart man. No, I think I, I think the point there is we are in the conversation with the Gale with this with this cut bait. That's really the comparison. You have Pillar Rock on the Gale. Gale is a much more treacherous river because it is natural and has other hazards. The nice thing here is that. Uh, we do rely on the work that Rick and his crew did, and and we couldn't run cut bait at these levels all the time if we didn't have the if that work had not been done. So when you saw the the cut bait fiasco in the video that start it was literally three days after the park opened eight years ago. So you I saw, didn't just see it; I was in the middle of it. Okay, <laughs> so. and and you know, and Richard Bishop was trying to figure out how to manage it. You were trying to figure out how you were going to get all the people in rafts, and you were happy. Yeah, I did. I, although I kept kept it to myself because everybody's quite concerned. But uh, it it was uh, again, it looked pretty tough. And the and and even before that day, when I first ran it, I was with some again really excellent kayakers that were very concerned about running it. And because, again, when you run something brand new, that doesn't happen very often. And so it really behaved very different. It looked, it's very powerful. 
and uh, and so being familiar with the physical model, uh, you know, I knew what the currents were doing underneath the water, and they, and that's the thing with the real river is you can see what's going on, on top, but what gets you in trouble is, is what's going on beneath you, and so I was very confident that uh, uh, what was happening. So I went down it, and and uh, and uh, of course it's. It, but it's it's very inti- intimidating and it is quite tough, but uh, but the consequences are are not anything near what they look like. So it's something you can do with a twelve year old kid or a sixty five year old grandmother. I'm not sure about the six, not my grandmother, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, I I always say I wouldn't design something that I wouldn't send my 13 year old daughter down. And but I did have to sneak her out of the house a few times where I, my wife wasn't looking. But uh, uh, but but yeah, I I wouldn't design something that kids couldn't go down. I want to deal with myth number two about the course. Is it? The world's longest urban whitewater course, and we've been billing it that as that for eight years now. It's the world's longest urban whitewater course. Is that just hyperbole? Is that Dan selling th- selling the well, river? Well, that, that didn't come from me. That started before I got here, and I think you've I, embraced I don't know it. That, though. Yeah, and I, I think it's fine. Uh, it's the uh, it, it's one of the world's best courses. I like that that about it more than the longest. It's it is a uh, it's a great course. And I don't know if it is the longest. That's what I've been told. Well, it's, know it's, Rick would know better than I, me. It's it's know. basically 20, 20 to thirty different features spread out over two miles, and so uh, uh, and and so I I think it is. I, I don't know anything longer. It's it, that's a pretty specific de- definition, but but I I, I believe that's true. Um, but I really think like it's it's uh, it's certainly some of the best urban whitewater that I, I know of and that I've ever heard about. Any of the urban courses I know about are r- relatively short. I mean, they're, they're all short features put in the center of a city. This is the only, only thing I've ever seen like this. How many rapids are – I've always 13, 14 rapids on the course. Is there is – I mean, you say – I say rapids, you say features, which means – Well, fe- features, what I'm saying, is a specific f- physical thing that we built – so different features can make up a different rapid or a wave or, or whatever. There could be two or three features in one rapid. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and you know, like, it's interesting, The uh, on our low-water run where most families go, the uh, the most important part of that is not the rapids, it's the float through uh, Lazy River. So that's a great uh, part of the trip. It's not a big rapid. So it, I, I think that's interesting. What came first, the chicken or the egg? If you look right now... You've got this urban whitewater course. Before you got here, there wasn't a hotel on it. There's now a hotel right there at the river. There's now a Mercer Medical School campus being built. There's another hotel on it at City Mills. Um, People like to join into a good thing. You get excitement going, and it just continues. And, uh, you know, the one thing interesting to me is this year, we have had uh, of our guests that come in to, to do this rafting and zip lining. Over ninety percent are traveling in more than an hour to get here, so uh, we we're really a tourist destination, and that helps uh, helps fuel everything in town. Helps keep things going, keeps business running, keeps restaurants going, builds hotels. It it's a it supports all the enthusiasm and all the other projects, more than just a river, but everything together works well. 
Are you surprised by the economic development, Rick, that's going on around it? I am. I, uh, I thought it would be successful. Uh, again, you get enough, uh, the, but uh, what it's done is beyond anything that I expected. And uh, I mean, it's just, just amazing. And it, that's, uh, it's, it, it's uh, I come here uh, probably on average every five years or, or so. And it's just interesting to see how things change. And the number of hotels and the amount of excitement. I, I, I always say that when I, when we first came down here, you know, Pillow Tex was closing. And I mean, I was probably young even then for, for of the person downtown. I mean, I mean, it was just, there was nobody there and just, just a few old guys and, and, and a now, bunch of newspaper people. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't there anymore either. <laughs> and now you go down and it's just young, vibrant, and uh, nice hotels and just a really a cool area to, to, to come to. Do you think this course could stand on its own as just a feature somewhere, you know, where you don't have the downtown and the 200,000 people around it, but what are the possibilities five and 10 years from now, Rick? I mean, what do you see as the possibilities on the economic development side of this thing? Uh, economic development isn't really my specialty. I'm just an engineer. Um, but, and again, I, 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 what I've seen so far is beyond what I ever thought could happen. Um, you know, it's the... Uh, when communities are considering things like this, uh, one is I send them here, and, and I always tell them to don't expect this, but look at what this did, and and that's that kind of success is what we're trying to shoot for. That's that's a gold standard here. Uh, so, um, but I think uh, 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 the river, uh, uh, I don't know, it's it's just uh, it's just going to continue on. Um, I think word of mouth, too. I, do, I know when I used to fly here a lot, everybody said, no, don't go to Columbus. And uh, still some people don't know about Columbus now, but but a lot more people when I travel, I just kind of ask, and, and, and they know, oh, I've, I've heard there's really great great uh, whitewater there, and I want to go. It's, it's pretty cool. Are I you? Think, pro- go ahead, I man. think the energy here is very similar today than it, than it was when we started, when the whitewater course opened, which is, so important. I, I think we could have done the Whitewater course and maybe Zipline done some development and then stopped. Everybody sat back and said, well, we've done a good job. Yep. But uh, just today, we're down on the river looking at new ideas. We're, we're as enthusiastic about new possibilities going into the future as we were at opening the original Whitewater course. You just brought me to the reason we're doing this podcast. Um, very very nicely. And I'm going to ask Dylan, who's our director, Dylan Hanson, is on some of these answers. They may show up on the 6 o'clock news tonight. So if you could give me some one-shots on some of these guys when Rick and Dan start answering this, but specifically Rick. Uh, why are you here, Rick, today? I mean, you've, you haven't been here since 2017. So mm-hmm. you're back here, and I know you you and Dan and John Turner and um, Ed. Ed um, yeah, I mean – Y'all are spending some time in the river. Why are you back? Um, well, I, uh, I think uh, we've got some, some really cool uh, competitions coming up uh, with uh, uh, freestyle kayaking uh, 2022 and 2023, and we want to make sure that the venue's doing its best. And uh, uh, 
trying to tune things up a little bit and uh, just make sure that uh, it's going to be a great event. So when you say tune things up, that's a little different than when your mechanics said, I mean, are you going to go in, are y'all going to tweak the river right now? That's the question I got. Uh, well, I think that's to be decided. We're just kind of looking at different things that we could add. I mean, the reality is that everything that's here is is really great for hosting the event. I, I think this is one of the, this is probably one of the best venues for hosting a freestyle event. I mean, just because, not just because of the features that are already there and working great, but because of the community and the community support and just the, uh, it's it, it's really a great place, a great great uh, climate, uh, year-round boating, uh, excellent water. It's just a, just the best venue for freestyle, really good. I mean, what? I mean, you're the guy who deals with this river every day. I mean, Dan, you're the one who has to sell it. You have to bring the people from more than an hour away to come in here to do this. You're bringing them from Tallahassee and Atlanta. You're bringing them from Montgomery. I think they're coming here because the river's so great. And what we're charged with is making sure that they enjoy it safely and, and have the best uh, time they can have while they're here. Uh, you know, I love doing that. What we need, do that every day. What needs to be done to the river right now to make well, it? Well, I think we're we're very excited about the World Cup next fall. That's just one year away, and we've got in 2023 in the summer, we have the World Championship. So we want to be sure. We've got uh, organizing committees already working on it. We want to present our cities in a great way. Um, I think we could, uh, like Rick said, we're, we're prepared. The river can host it right now. We're set with our waves. But if we can, uh, we're looking at possibilities to uh, – Make things work. We're at a high level, but if we can bring it up even more, I think that's a that's a good thing to do. So we're looking at some possibilities where we can tweak things a little bit, make it better possibly for athletes, make it better for the young people coming to town to enjoy the rafting. Does that mean spectator seating? Oh, we'll definitely have spectator seating. We have lots of build to do uh, for both World Cup and World Championships. So we'll have seating. We'll have we'll have grandstands. We'll have. Uh, the, this venue is wonderful. This is another venue that was really good was Sort Spain. Uh, they're they're in the city too, and they're they're all huddled up. You can get close into the river, get close to the excitement. We've got the same possibility right here. You can get down close to the athletes and really enjoy the sport. So it's going to be a great for uh, spectators, great for the athletes. As some, you said, athletes a number of times, and as somebody who's had his battles with the kayakers in this community from time to time. They, they really. love you. They love you. It's okay. <laughs> oh, they made memes <laughs> of me. Uh, uh, I, we had a, um, for your benefit, we had a, a flooding event, and this was toward the end of my newspaper career. So it was about three years ago, give or take. And I was down there doing Facebook Lives, and it, I would say it was probably 20 I thought it was 25,000 CFS, but it was probably closer to 20 and maybe a little less. Lots of water. Lots of water. It was a, there was a slug of water coming down the river. And they were the really smart ones were out there kayaking, and I called them certifiable lunatics. Um, and you know, to Which me, they probably are, but you know, when the water, <laughs> when the order, when the water gets up to 25,000, you get these swells and they're amazing. And I'm not sure that you get those anywhere else in the world, 
But uh, when it gets to that level, these elite uh, these elite kayakers, they are charging for the river to, to enjoy it. But what would scare me is you also get Harris County's pine trees that have been falling on the riverbank for two or three years. That That's what would scare me at that level when the water's These up. guys are young and invincible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, are, are you, you're not young. And, I, mean, I mean, you were designing the river for safety. I mean, so you're clearly not invincible. No, I'm, I'm definitely not invincible. So... How is that mindset, that young, invincible thrill seeker, played into into the marketing of this of this whitewater course? Then, how that plays into the marketing? I think we're marketing for the uh, the the what the sweet spot for the marketing is the family. We, what we want to what we wanted to be from day one is when uh, a family is planning an outing in the southeast that uh, Columbus, Phoenix City is high on that list. If we're in the top two or three choices, we've scored, and that's what's happening. And we want to. Uh, the reason we're talking about making things even better, we're, we're not at a resting point. We want to get things, add more and more. Like Standing Boy, the the, the mountain biking park there that's being added. That's a, that's a great addition. But if we can um, if we can become more the, the the city that people think of as an outdoor sports oriented town, just like. Uh, uh, Chattanooga and Asheville. That's that's where we're trying to be, and we should be, and we will be there. You've had a year of Banks Food Hall being operational a season. Did that help you to have the food hall right there next to the to your headquarters on front of, on uh, Bay Street? I think we have uh, our customers love it. They they flock into it, but our customers are happy. What a big part of this Whitewater. I think I mentioned before. It's not just coming to go down the river in a raft. It's to come enjoy getting in the raft, having a great meal. And we've got that here in Columbus. So it's very different than going to the Nantahala River. Nantahala River is great, and we're on that river rafting it every day. It's a beautiful river. You're an hour from anything that looks civilized. Way more than an hour. <laughs> you're, you're out there. But it's a great river, a great place to go. But it is you're just enjoying that uh, whitewater experience. You're not going to get out and have a great meal there. or You don't have the city that you're getting out. And so customers love both. And what we're finding is a, an outdoor family loves go to Nantahala, loves go to Okoye, but they also love to come here. And they're you're getting different uh, variations with each thing. But you have a cost effectiveness that you can't work into the Okoye or the Nantahala in that when people end their raft ride, you don't have to put them on a bus and take them 13 miles back to your outpost. I mean, you load their rafts up in a thing and they walk behind the CSU campus back to your store. I mean... That's got to be something that's helped you, one, minimize, maximize the time people spend here, but kind of minimize the cost of running your operation. Well, yeah, being near the takeout is, is much nicer, but it's also better the guests, you know, they want to, I think the guests would prefer walking back up than loading back up in a van and coming back up. You know, it's, it's an outdoor experience. It's definitely better for us um, operationally to be close to the takeout. Rick, probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you Uh-oh. in the whole 45 minutes. You've looked at this course now a lot over the last eight years. Is there anything you look at and you say, God, I wish I'd done that differently? I mean, is there anything you look at that it was in the original design that you just said, hey, man, I, I missed the boat, maybe the wrong term, but I wish I had done this differently, and if so, what? So, uh, a- absolutely. Um 
uh, and that goes with every project. Because that I've done. people that do what you do are perfectionist. Mm, I, I guess I tend to be, or at least hard on myself. But uh, but dealing with water is extremely. It's uh, it's very difficult pr- to predict, um, particularly at the levels that we're we're trying to go to now, right? With the performance and the waves and so forth. Um, and so uh, we uh, use physical models, computer models, uh, all sorts of ex- uh, kind of specialized uh, techniques that we've developed over 30-some years. Uh, but, but it's still, uh, there's still a, a level of unknowns and, and, and things that don't turn out just the way you want. So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, the... Uh, uh, to to have kind of uh, more stable green waves uh, at lower flows, uh, I would have liked to do things that would help that would have made that uh, more possible or, or more, low flow, more frequent. Low flow has about three or four really good waves. You got the wave right. shaper. You got that. What do y'all call it, Doctor Pemberton's or whatever that drop right there below Pemberton the falls. Fort mm-hmm. Pemberton Falls below. Got ambush at the and the ambush at the start. Um, ambush was absolutely a creation of necessity, right? The first rapid, because when you got on that, you really didn't have anything to start with. And y'all kind of made a decision to build something up there just below the North Highland Dam that would get your attention on the course, right? I, I still have a, a voicemail from my uh, engineer that was working, and I, I found it a couple of months ago. And, and, he, and he calls me up and he says, they're going to take out am, Ambush or the, that drop, and, and it's too expensive. And uh, it, I don't know, it just kind of brought, brought back memories. <laughs> the, but uh, uh, the, uh, the Ambush was actually something that I designed that actually – Kind of designing for the worst, and and that kind of happened, and so its its purpose was really to create a pool upstream and and facilitate the put in, and it was absolutely necessary to really make this thing work. Um, but our models all showed that it would be a very small drop, and uh, I didn't really believe them, uh, and because again we couldn't see what's underwater, uh, but I thought that the the riverbed may not be represented correctly, and. And so it was designed for to drop about two feet, and and uh, uh, almost as soon as we turned it on, the, after the first storm, the, the riverbed washed out, and uh, it it became big drop. I think it drops about five feet now. It's a big drop. Do riverbeds lie? I mean, do they? I mean, I mean, the the I mean, and that's a stupid question. But no, it's it's a that's a good question. Uh, but it, but I, I think the difficulty here again was nobody saw has seen the riverbed for hundreds of years, right? And so we didn't know really what it was like. Uh, so we're trying to guess where it is elevation wise, or and then what it looks like, and then what's it made out of, and. Uh, uh, it's made out of rock. I figure that out. Well, that's true, but is it loose rock or bedrock? And and that was the problem there is is it was rock, but it wasn't turned out not to be very big rock. As it turns out, ambush is a critical part of the whitewater experience. We, that's that's just a great part of the river that it, we're so glad that was included. But also, you know, rivers do change. It's, this is this river's not stagnant. It's changed. It changes over time. There's, the force coming down that river is incredible. And like Pemberton has changed, it, it, they change over time. Good for the good for better. Sometimes or worse. better and sometimes worse. Are y'all looking at modifications to ambush? And what's a, 
I'm going to ask this this way. What's the likelihood of modifications happening? I know I saw the group that was there, and it looked like everybody was there that needs to make decisions uh, to me. I mean, I've only been covering this for 20-plus years, but it looked like the people that had the ability to make those decisions were there. What's the likelihood that there are going to be changes made to the course tweaks over the course of this off season before you gear back up next spring? You want to handle that? Day. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the answer is that uh, the people who are there are are have been there from the start, and they're we everybody who's there wants to make improvements all the time, and I don't think that's changed. I think uh, we would like to make some tweaks, and I think. Uh, that group's a strong group. How's that? Are you, that <laughs> are you recommending tweaks to the river, both at the start of the course and? If I've recommended know. tweaks from the very beginning, and uh, but but uh, folks are very conservative, and I, and I and again, it's working great, and nobody wants to come in and screw up something that's working good, and there's always that possibility, uh, no matter how how good and uh, we try to design something, there's there's always that certain unknown. Uh, but uh, but I think there's there's room for some improvements and and uh, again the, the major thing was the major risk that the project sponsors took was done when they built it and uh, and uh, right now it's just a little bit of icing or well, what Rick said is really true we're sitting there every time we're looking at different parts of the river we've got another part right next to it that is just as Right as it can possibly be, it is world class, and so you're sitting there saying, "Well, we can do this, but we don't want to mess that up." So it, it's uh, it's got some difficulties in it, but I think we've got some areas we can work to make some enhancements. What would you compare a river to? Object? I mean, what would you compare trying to take something as wild and natural as a river, particularly this river, and you compare it to a person? Can you compare it to a? I mean, what do you? I mean, what do you compare this river to? I'm not too philosophical that way. Uh, well, you're an engineer. I'm an engineer. Give me a break. Uh, so, so I don't know. It's uh, water's always fascinated me, and uh, it's always it's uh, it's just really fun to work with. Uh, uh, I guess I'm too. Uh, too too nerdy to make any kind of com- comparison like that. Well, we've said for a long time this is the playground of Columbus and Phoenix City, and uh, you know it's it's the heart of our cities. It's uh, I I still enjoy seeing every day. I was I was down there last night, and, and here's a couple older couple coming down who come here from um, Canton, Georgia. They're just down here. They're not doing anything except looking. They just came down here to get a hotel room and see what's going on. And they they came down to the island last night just to sit and watch the river. I mean, this is the heart of our community. One of the things, it is. I mean, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that's happened, and it's happened not just on that two-mile whitewater course, we've had a series of drownings over the last, I mean, there have always been drowning on Chattahoochee. I mean, everybody knows that. But you've had somebody fell in on the island drowned uh, a couple years ago, kid. At the end of the day, it's still a wild river, and you can get hurt in it if you don't have a personal flotation vice on or you're not careful, right? Absolutely. You know, it, it, we have increased the uh, the number of people that go to the river now as far as 
crazy compared to the number that used to go to the river. People that so go down there to look at it. They go down to look at it and they enjoy it and, and raft it and fish it. You know, people are flocking to the river now. But we've got uh, the fact that we've got uh, we have over a hundred guides that are involved on this river on a daily basis in the summer. So there's some uh, safety features that are brought at the same time that more people are coming to the river. So we've made it a lot safer. There's a lot of uh, effort that goes into that. A lot of it is education. Um, it is a wild river, but if you if you do it right from the shore and from the river, uh, it's it, you, it's a safe thing to do. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Eight you, eight full seasons of rafting now, and you've had one fatality on the river, and I think there was a medical issue involved in that right. as much as anything. I think I don't know what the status of that is right now, but. There was one, there's one, I mean, there had, and when those of us that didn't know what we were looking at, but we saw the cut bait fiasco the third day, I mean, I literally thought I was going to be riding obit after obit off the river because it's like, how can you keep doing this and people still swim out of it? Well, we felt just opposite. Of course, we felt very confident in the studies and work that had gone into the river. And then we did our preparation when we, when we had that video, uh, we got together in a huddle and said, okay, how do we solve this thing? We got a problem here. We got too many rats flipping. There wasn't so much rats flipping. We had too many people in the water at one time. Uh, so how do we figure this out? And, and we uh, reached, out the, reached out to uh, Charlie Walbridge in West Virginia, had him come down for a couple of weeks, and I met he him. taught us how to do it. He's, he wrote the book on safety on rivers. So, uh, you know, we've done – you do the right things and you get good results, but we always had confidence we could uh, we could run that section of the river safely and well. Getting near the end of this, um, I want to ask Rick one thing and then you, Dan, but I'll start with Rick. When – how many projects have you done over the years? Mm, oh, well, in, of all projects, uh, over 100, but a whitewater-type project similar to this or – what water type projects, maybe 30, 40. You remember the first time you came in here in 99, 2000, you were a young guy, they were looking at you, you had the 96 Olympics under your belt, you had the Okoe, and that success story. Honest answer, did you think they had lost their mind when they were talking about doing the whitewater course in the Chattahoochee and downtown Columbus? No, not at all. Um, and uh, I, I kind of uh, summarize it a bit. Um, when we first came down here, and, and it was actually before that, it was, was kind of when we were working on in '95. Uh, when we were working on the Olympic course, we somebody said, "Oh, you should stop by Columbus," and we came and talked to some folks. And then, but we got started actually working on it. I think around '99. But uh, um, the th- the initial thought uh, was to do kind of like what had been done before, which is basically uh, excavate a course or build a course around the existing dams, what we call a bypass. And that was what they were thinking. And we came down and kind of looked at this thing and said, well, you know, under here there's some, some falls line rapids, and, and these dams aren't doing you any good, so we think you should take the dams out. And I always kind of summarize it that the, the response was, well, that's really interesting. Now go home Yankee. And <laughs> we, we like our dams. And, and I think they kind of thought about it and, uh, and, uh, uh, and then somebody else actually proposed that same, same idea, the other idea to, to go around the dams. Um, but I, 
it's so, uh, but I think after they thought about it for a while, they they kind of called us back and said, well, let's look at this a little closer. When engineers and architects think and analyze, dollar signs start moving. I mean, what you, the original thought was the $5 million deal, kind of circumventing the dams and building something around them. Mm-hmm. You didn't do a $5 million project down here. No, we did not. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, everybody wants to know what things are going to cost before you build them, right? And, and like, with a building, you know, everybody has an idea. It's so much dollars per square foot, whether it's a house or whatever you're doing. In a river like this, there's no go-by. And, uh, and so uh, uh, we had to do a lot more work to get us in the ballpark of where – of the real costs that were going to be incurred. It's not cheap to put cranes in the middle of a river. No, nothing about this river is, is cheap. And I think, again, uh, there really hadn't been anything like it done before. And so so John Turner and, and the crew, I, I mean, really took a pretty big risk. And uh, and uh, I, th- I think it, it paid off beyond what I was thinking and, and uh, I think kind of whatever. Um, I think Dan here really took a risk too, and I was just just, just talking at lunch today. Is like this is the uh, um, shortest commercially run rafting trip that I'm aware of, um, and I know at the time um, we weren't sure that that was going to work. Right? How do you have just a two mile reach that you commercially raft? It hasn't really been done before. There's no go buys. There's no economic model that shows that that can be done. And in fact. Many uh, or uh, several of the rafting companies that they approached said it's it's, it's not going to work. Uh, maybe for for that and other reasons. And so, uh, so I think it took some some vision and some risk on a, on a lot of people's part to get this thing going. Dan and and now we sit here with uh, we all talked about world class and questioned that over the years. But and now we're sitting here with world ch- uh, championship of freestyle kayak coming up in uh, a year and a half. Dan, I sort of asked this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait to go watch the best in the world on the river. Um, I can't. You, I mean, I jokingly called you PT Barnum the other day, but you're a promoter. I mean, you, your job is to sell something, to sell this. Is this river easier or harder to sell than you thought it would be? This experience, this this deal. Well, I don't look. At, I, I think you can. It's easy to sell things that you love. If I came down, if I didn't love this place, it it wouldn't work for me, you know. But it, it's something that's that's easy to sell to somebody who's looking to enjoy an outdoor experience. This is an easy sell. Uh, it's a different sell than say the Akoi or other sells and in, in other places, but uh, but uh, it's an easy sell. The downtown makes it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And Art, I, mean, I mean, the downtown's a different even, place than it was eight years ago. Oh gosh, it's wonderful. People enjoy it. But uh, just if you just go back to strictly the Whitewater, um, somebody who's been on the Nantahala and Coe and Pigeon Rivers, and they do that all the time, they haven't experienced water <laughs> until like this until they come down here to, to the Chattahoochee. This is entirely different water than you'll see on Chattooga or any of these other rivers in the southeast. So. It's it's a great uh, great thing to promote. We're at a point now where we call turn the table. So I've done this with every guest. I think I screwed up and left it off on one. But I've been asking y'all questions, and I'm not sure I want you asking me any questions. Oh, this is the time to get you back. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) but no, I mean, you know, in 
the interesting part is that y'all both are heavily invested in this and have been for years. And as a journalist, in many ways, I'm heavily invested in this. This has been something I have co- covered for well over 20 years, both, you know, the formation stuff. Anything y'all want to ask me? Um, well, there should be something. Uh, so, so has your job become more interesting since this has been around, or or, or maybe more positive? I guess. It, like I always picture news folks reporting on mostly bad news, right? Because well, you know, that seems to make the news. So that's a misconception. But I'm, you know, I mean. I've reported on Dan over the last eight years where he had crisis managers in the room. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've clearly been in that situation. But you know, at the end of the day, the Whitewater course has been a piece of the driving of the change of downtown Columbus. Years ago, there was an art, uh, artist out of Athens, and this was probably. 10, 12 years ago, Richard Bishop would know. But they brought him in. He was installing one of those pieces that you see downtown. And we weren't quite there yet. We wanted to be something, but we weren't really anything yet. And the, I said, what do you see when you see downtown Columbus? The artist looked at me and said, I see a lady dressed up for something that hadn't happened yet. And I think once that Whitewater course opened, got established, that was what had to happen for other stuff to happen. The hotels, the continued flow of the restaurants. You know, I mean, just a lot. I think the Whitewater, you know, for years Columbus talked about the it. What's it going to be? Well, I think, you know, it's a lot of it's, I mean, but I think it really did turn out to be the Whitewater course. And I may be dead wrong, but, I mean, if I were writing the history of Columbus, I would say the Whitewater course I think it. I think it is uh, one of those things that people feel so much better about their community because it's there. I've heard people all the time they come and say, well, they're so proud of their city because they love seeing people from other places come to their, their hometown. And there's some pride in that. And I, I, I think it's just – People feel a lot better about living here and their experience here because there's more excitement going on. The tourism. Matt Swift. Used, Matt Swift used to say, former WC Bradley real estate head used to say, "Down by the rivers, where you take Aunt Minnie when she comes to town." And I think now it's down by the river to the island. I mean, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute, look at this. And I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, you and I have grown, Dan, you and I have grown very accustomed to each other. Rick is kind of the guy who came in, did his thing, and left, and now he's coming back to do a little more, it looks like. But, you know, it's really interesting to get Rick's perspective because he's the guy, I mean, he's the guy who in large part had the, you know, he didn't have the money he had, but he had the ideas that the people with the money listened to, and those guys are always fascinating to me. Because you you don't live here. I mean, you know, if this was a disaster, you could have walked away from it and just said, "Hey, you won't ever." You know, we may find you in Google, but I mean, you didn't have 
this is something you point to with pride now. Oh yeah, yeah, and and, and but uh, we live and die by our reputation, and 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 you know, all the projects that I've designed basically have said have done what I said they're going to do. Um, a few bumps and hiccups, just like on it, everything, but but this one really went beyond. And, and w- there's been studies uh, a year since I talked about bringing folks to the Potomac River there, the, the edge of the river. Um, really, the there's kind of economic benefits, right, to projects like this and quality of life benefits. And both are, they're really obvious here. Um, but I think one thing that the people, the people in the river are like the, uh, the record, the, uh, it, it's like a water feature, right? The, the, most people that enjoy this venue and pretty much every other one, success, successful one, about 75% or more of the people that use this are just on the banks watching. And that's really who, who we focus towards, the 75%. The, the folks in the river are, are the entertainment. That's a good way to end it. Well, our guests have been Dan McLaughlin, who is the – engineer architect of the Columbus Chattahoochee Whitewater course and Dan Gilbert who owns Whitewater Express that runs it you know I think learned a good bit about the river today and I mean this is kind of a deja vu because those guys have been covering this story for many many years and it's been really interesting to catch up with Rick good to see him back in Columbus Dan I'm sure I'll see you somewhere down the road Uh, this is the part where we do all the social media stuff of the Chuck Williams show can be seen on WRBL.com Tuesday night 7 to 8 you can also catch it on podcast your favorite podcast so you can get on the go without the video aspect probably be better for you and I if the video's not on there Dan uh, on <laughs> Apple and Spotify and iHeart wherever you get your podcast and I'm starting to talk to some people Dylan Dylan Hanson's our engineer and director a great guy and he Dylan, I've been talking to some people, and they're really starting to go back through and listen to the library collection on these things. And I'm getting people that are sort of saying, wow, thank you for telling me about this guy. And the politician ones are starting to catch on. I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay, you can get me on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Chuck Williams. Facebook, I'm Chuck Williams, WRBL. And on Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. We talked River today. I got my Braves hat on. Let's go get them Braves. I'd love to have a 3-0 lead over the Dodgers and see what happens from there. But we will be back next week with another episode of the Chuck Williams Show. Thanks for listening, guys.